Go ahead and grab a Bible, turn uh, to Philippians 1, as uh, Pastor Derek mentioned. Uh, as Luke mentioned a little bit earlier, we are in week two of a, of a series that we're calling Go Together. And uh, I hope that is really uh, going well and encouraging you uh, this morning. So last Sunday, if you remember, we uh, talked about, I tried to make the case right from Philippians 1 for why we need each other, why we need to go together. And I shared with you that, that going together really produces joy, uh, that going together uh, really reveals God's grace, and then it advances God's mission. Now this morning, what I want us to do is I want to talk to you about living triumphantly over the circumstances in your life. So in this next uh, section of Philippians chapter 1, we're really going to see uh, a secret that Paul shares with us about living in triumph, living in victory over the circumstances of our lives. So I'm going to ask you, if you are willing and able, would you please stand together for the reading of the Word of God today? We're going to read verses 12 all the way through verse 21 this morning. Hear the Word of God. The Apostle Paul says this, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Well, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope, that I will not at all be ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. So what we're seeing in this letter is, is Paul is, he's writing this to encourage the Christians in Philippi. And uh, he really wants to just lift them up because of the circumstances that they're facing. And what I find is interesting are the circumstances that the Apostle Paul is facing. If you remember, I shared with you last Sunday that he is, he is in prison. He is literally in chains uh, for Christ. Uh, he, is, he is chained to a Praetorian guard 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now just think about that, church. He has, he has absolutely no privacy. He can't go to the bathroom by himself. Uh, he can't sleep by himself, eat by himself. He, he can't even write this letter to the Philippians uh, by himself. And so this is a very uh, demeaning kind of circumstance for him. Added to that is the fact that he has no idea uh, when this thing's going to end for him. So he's probably putting little marks for every day on the wall that goes by, uh, just kind of counting down the days and keeping track of the days. But he has no end in sight. Or when he's going to get out of prison. Not only that, but he's also really living with uncertainty because at any moment, uh, just at the whim of uh, the ruler's decision there, he could just be executed and die. 
So he's living with a tremendous amount of uncertainty in his life. And uh, he's living uh, chained to the, these praetorian guards for, you know, uh, every day, um, all day, every day. Now, what I find that's interesting about that is the fact that in these set of circumstances, Paul is absolutely unfazed. Like he's unfazed by all of this. And what we see here, especially, especially as you really dig into the letter to the Philippians, he is, he's really demonstrating courage under fire and calmness under fire. I mean, he is living triumphantly over all of that set of circumstances that's landed right into his life. He is not panicking. He's very much at peace. He's very much joyful. He's very much content. In fact, what's, what's even more interesting about this is he really describes the situation as win-win for him. So his whole outlook, his whole mindset is, if I live, then I win. And if I die, I win. And so what you see is you have this guy that has this freedom, this joy, this peace over the set of circumstances that he has in his life. And I think it really begs the question, what's his secret? I mean, how do you do that? You, you guys know what I'm saying? Like, wh what does he have? How, how, can he, how, how can he do this? How can he live with so much victory and so much joy in his life? It's absolutely clear to me that he has something that enables him to live in complete victory over the circumstances that he's facing that he possesses something or I should say something is possessing him where he is he is able to live without fear he's able to face any situation in his life without fear without without anxiety without it at all he is he is not discouraged he is not distraught he is not depressed he is not in despair and you, and you get that vibe all the way through this letter. And so um, I think he has found a source of life that we need to look at this morning. He has found a secret that I think he wants us to discover for, for experiencing really victory over our set of circumstances. So it really boils down to this for you and for me. What are you living for? What is most important in your life? What is your highest priority? You know, we don't normally think about that question. We don't normally take time to reflect on, on that question until trials and tragedies and, you know, hard circumstances come our way. Trials have a way of bringing us back to the most important questions of life, don't they? And so what is it for you? And so Paul has, he's answered this question and what he's trying to do in this letter is he is sharing the answer with the Philippian Christians. He wants them to get it and what he wants is he wants you to get it as well. In fact, Jesus wants us to get it. And so the tone, is, the tone that we have in this letter is so encouraging and uplifting. He's like, guys, don't worry about me. I'm okay. Everything, no matter what happens, you don't need to be worrying about me. So what was his secret? Well, let me just, what I want to do this morning is I want to take just a few minutes and I want to share with you three truths for living triumphantly in your life. Because I think that's what, we, that's what we see that he communicates in this passage. Just three very simple truths for living triumphantly in, in life. And let's, let's look at the first one. I think, it, I think to, in order to live triumphantly, you've, you've got to see the problem. 
And the problem is universal. The problem is for all of us. Life is hard. That's what we see. Look with me at verses 12 and 13. Let me, let me just kind of show you this. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So something has happened to him. We've already talked about that. So it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And so, so really what, what the problem that, is, that, that he is experiencing is, like I've already mentioned, he's in prison. This is not where he wants to be, church. He is in a set of circumstances that he doesn't want to have in his life. And I think what we see is we begin to see that life is really difficult, that life is really hard. And, and as, we, as we understand that, it helps us to, to really step into the victory that, that we can have through Jesus Christ. And so, and so he understands that life is difficult and he is in a difficult set of circumstances. And so Jesus warned us about this. He communicated to us that we're going to have problems in this world, that none of us are insulated from suffering. None of us are immune from problems. None of us are. And the nature of life is life is really a series of problems. You solve one and you move on to the next one. You solve that one and you move on to the next one. It is a series of problems. And so all of us experience that. It's true for you. It's true for me. It's, a tr it's true for the, for the Apostle Paul. Here you have the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary, the greatest church planner in the history of the church. This guy was single-handedly the catalyst behind the largest movement in human history. He had gifts and talents and abilities that enabled him to go into a city and begin engaging in debate. And, and he, could, he had this gift of being able to proclaim the gospel in such a way that people would be influenced to come to Christ through him. And yet, he's got, he's got a huge problem. Isn't that interesting? And so it raises a question that I think all of us have asked and will ask when we bump into the hardness of life. And that is this, why God? Why, why, why is there so much, uh, you know, what did I do to deserve this? Why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? I think Paul asked the same question. God, why are you allowing me to be imprisoned and, and, and living in chains? Why does God allow all of this? And, it, and, it, and what's interesting about that is you, we, we all know people in, in our lives that have sacrificed greatly for the kingdom. They're serving God. They're on the mission field. Or they're in the ministry in some way. And, and, and what we see from a distance, we see their life from a distance and they're going through some difficult trial or tragedy in your life. And you're just thinking, God, it just seems like you're working against yourself. You, you guys know what I'm talking about? Like, like you would think that God... God has called Paul to be a church planner and a missionary. You would think that God would have him on mission, church planning, right? No, but God has him right in the middle of prison, right chained to praetorian guards. So what in the world? Something seems kind of off. And it's not like this is a one-time experience for Paul. His entire life and ministry was hard. Let me show you this from 2 Corinthians 11. Uh, verse 22, notice what, notice what the Apostle Paul writes. He's just, uh, just kind of rattling off some things there, and, he, and he's just giving his experience. And so he says, are, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. 
I'm talking like a madman, he says, kind of parenthetically, with far great labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Can you imagine that? Uh, Sounds like Monday morning to me. I don't know about you guys. Uh, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for for all of the churches. Now, does it sound like if you follow Jesus, he's going to make you healthy, wealthy, and prosperous? Is that what that sounds like? Is, Is the Apostle Paul living his best life now? I don't really think so. What he's describing here, church, is the reality that life is hard. That there is something that God wants us to triumph over, and it is It is the fact that we are living in a sin-cursed, fallen, broken world, and you and I feel the burn of that every single day, and so does he. Now, most people point to the problem of evil and suffering as, as really their reason for why they don't believe in God. Did you know that? That that is like the number one reason why people say, I don't believe in God, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I don't believe in the Bible because there's so much so much evil and suffering in the world. And we see that, see that on the news every day, single day. In fact, George Barna surveys thousands of Americans um, every year. And he asked them, he said, if you could ask God one question and you knew you could get the answer, what, what one question would you ask him? You guys know what the number one question was? Why is there evil and suffering in the world? By far, it was the number one question. Why is there evil and suffering in the world? Pastor John Stott said this, he says, the fact of suffering undoubtedly constitutes the single greatest challenge to the Christian faith and has been in every generation. Its distribution and degree, that is suffering, suffering's distribution and degree, appear to be entirely random and therefore unfair. Sensitive spirits ask if it can possibly be reconciled with God's justice and love. And that is getting right down to it, isn't it? The reality is, is life, life is hard. Ronald Nash is a philosopher. He says this, objections to theism, which is the belief in God, come and go. But every philosopher I know believes the most serious challenge to, to believing in God was and is and will continue to be the problem of evil in the world, the problem of suffering in the world. Now, church, can I just tease you with something this morning? Can I just, can I just do that? Um, I won't take a lot of time on this, but let me, just, let me just kind of throw this out here for thought. The problem of evil and suffering is a problem for Christians. It's a problem for us. We bump into it all the time. Like I've said, it's a bigger problem for non-believers. It's a bigger problem for atheists. And if you ever hear an atheist or somebody that you know, doesn't believe in God just kind of say, well, you know, I could never believe in God because there's so much evil and suffering, evil and suffering in the world that uh, I just can't possibly reconcile that with God. So therefore, there must not be God. You ever heard anybody say that? People will say it all the time. 
But see, here's the thing. A person who doesn't believe doesn't have the right to raise that issue. Do you know why? Because if they're saying that God doesn't exist, how do you even know what evil is? If God doesn't exist, if this world is all that there is, and our observation day in and day out is the the strong eat and devour the weak every single day, and there's no God, then who is it that says that that's wrong? That's just the way it is. And so as Christians, we have, we struggle with this because we do believe in a God. We do believe in absolute truth and, and absolute right and wrong. And we believe that God, is a, God establishes that. But you can't raise that issue if you say God doesn't exist because you don't even know what evil is apart from God defining it for us. Does that make sense? And so it's a bigger problem. And so Paul understands all of this. He, he, gets, he gets the reality of life. Life is difficult. And so he understands that life, life is hard. But we're, now we get into the secret. I want to show you his perspective that he has. And he shows us this in verse 12. Notice what he says. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So you begin to get into his mind and heart a little bit and he has this perspective that God is using his suffering and he's redeeming this evil in the world that's happening in his life. He's using it and redeeming it for good. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. That is his perspective. He's thinking about the fact, I don't want to, I want to be out, I want to be church planting. I want to be on the mission field. That's not where I want to be. But that's where, that's where God has him. And in a million years, I mean, think about this, church. In a million years, the Apostle Paul would have never thought about developing a mission to the Praetorian Guard. The Praetorian Guard were about 9,000 soldiers. They were elite soldiers uh, for the emperor of Rome. They were like secret service. And in a million years, he would have never thought, okay, how can I develop a strategy to reach those guys for Christ? He just, Paul just went and he just went city to city preaching the gospel and then starting churches. That's what he did. That's exactly what he did. But, but I want you to notice something. God has him chained to these praetorian guards. Paul has a captive audience. You guys tracking with me? And what they would do is these guys would rotate in three to four, out, three to four times a day. They would change out the guard. And so, and so somebody was chaining these soldiers to the most persuasive evangelist in the history of the church. And you know what was happening? One by one, they were coming to Christ just like that. And Paul is looking at his set of circumstances and he's seeing God is moving through this. Because people are coming to Christ uh, day after day after day after day. You guys tracking with me on this? Now, Matthew Henry is a Bible commentator and he lived in the 1600s. And what he says about this passage, he has this interesting observation. He says, God is the original alchemist. He's the original alchemist. You know what alchemy is? Alchemy is the belief that started in, in the Middle Ages where uh, through science, you could turn lead into gold. That would be a really great trick if you could do that. You know what I mean? That would be amazing. That would be a game changer. And so they, they devoted themselves to the science of trying to figure out how to turn lead into gold. And what Matthew, is, Matthew Henry is saying here about this passage is this, that God is the original alchemist. He's turning lead into gold. And so that is Paul's perspective, that God takes the hardness of life 
He takes the difficulties of life. He takes the challenge of life and he, and he changes it into gold. He turns it into gold for you and for me. And Paul sees his chains, his suffering, you know, his set of circumstances that he doesn't want in his life as something that God is using for his glory and for his purposes. I, I think it probably often, uh, every day, probably went something like this. The praetorian guard would ask Paul, well, what are you in for? And the apostle Paul would say, well, I'm in because I've been preaching the gospel. And the praetorian guard would say, well, what is the gospel? And Paul would say, well, the gospel is this, the king of kings and the Lord of lords you know, came and died on a cross and on the third day rose from the dead and is living with me in this, in this cell right now. And because he lives, when I die, I'm going to live in paradise with him forever. And I guarantee the apostle Paul looked at his captor and said, that makes me more free than any one of my captors. And it's all because of Jesus Christ. Would you like to know him? And for hours on end, he would, he would share Christ with those guys, and those guys would commit their life to Christ. You see, Paul's perspective was, nothing is going to hinder God's plan for me. God's, the kingdom of God, no matter what circumstance I am, the kingdom of God is going to advance. Now, now let, me, let me just ask you a couple of questions. Paul's in chains. What are your chains right now? What difficulty are you facing right now? What adverse circumstances do you, uh, are you living with right now that are not ideal for you? You would give them up in a minute. Are you able to see how God is working through those adverse circumstances? Are you able to see that? I love what James Montgomery Boyce says about this. He says, he says Paul was chained to a prison room. You may have chains of your own. You may be tied to a desk when you'd like to be out in more direct Christian service. You may be tied to a home, especially when the children are young and need constant care. You may be tied to a sickbed and may never see beyond your hospital room. This should not be cause for discouragement. This shouldn't be cause for discouragement, he's saying. If you are in circumstances like these, these have been given to you by God and can be used by him. You can bear witness to people who come by your desk, your kitchen sink, or your hospital bed. And if you do, God will bless your efforts. And you will see spiritual fruit. What is more, it will change entirely how you look at your limitations, whatever the cause. So what are your chains today? What are your adverse situations? Are you, are you praying that you can see how God is advancing the gospel through the difficulty and through the, through the challenge of what you're going through? This week I was reading about uh, a girl, 13-year-old Lauren Blackmore. She lives in Louisville and uh, she was diagnosed with cancer and uh, a very rare form of cancer. And she was attending church at Southeast Christian in Louisville and she heard a sermon and God just spoke to her in the sermon. And she knew that God wanted her, that he was calling her to do mission work to kids with cancer. Now get it, she's just diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. Only 450 people in the United States have her cancer. And she's thinking, God's calling me to the mission field the mission field of kids, of helping kids with cancer. 
She says this, and I quote, I can give them hope by telling them my story. So her cancer was very serious. It's a very rare form of cancer. Uh, It would get in, this kind of cancer gets into your bones and it would require your your limbs to be amputated. That's how serious this this is. And so she went through 14 different rounds of chemotherapy. She went through 25 radiation treatments. And then that last PET scan, she was in the clear and the doctor considered it, considered it an absolute miracle. And she began to think about how she could minister to kids that are battling cancer. And so her dad did a, a trip to India and, she, and her dad visited this uh, cancer ward, this pediatric cancer ward in India. And he came back and he told her all about it and she got an idea. She remembered that she had been given a blanket as a young girl that she really loved. And she took this blanket everywhere she could go. She had that, that blanket with her. And she especially used this blanket when she was going through her rounds of chemo and radiation. It brought her great warmth through the sleepless nights and the fatigue and just being freezing cold all the time. So she came up with the idea that she would develop this ministry where teams of people at her church would make blankets for kids with cancer in India. And through the missionaries at Southeast Christian Church, she was able to get these blankets uh, distributed to them. And she says this, and I quote, she says, when I was first diagnosed with cancer, I knew that God had a plan, she said. I knew that God had a plan for my life And this was a part of that plan. Now, how might God use the circumstances in your life that you're going through right now for his glory to advance the gospel? How how does he want to use that? Have you considered trusting him in the midst of that? You know, one of the greatest sermons that you can preach one of the greatest ways to display God's love and goodness is, is just by simply being joyful under affliction. Or by living a life of faith and having this perspective that God is going to use this for good in my life and, and living it in such a way and expressing it in such a way that other people see that and they marvel at you. They marvel at your faith and your confidence in the grace of God. You see, if you really want to live on mission, it really starts with understanding that that all of your circumstances, your entire life, belong to God, and God wants to use them to advance the gospel. But see, it really starts with you and I allowing God to turn lead into gold, doesn't it? It starts with us trusting that God is going to use these to to bring glory to himself. And you, and you know what I find? And I think that's exactly what we find through, through this passage of scripture is if, if we will take that step of really trusting God and living <clears throat> courageously under fire, we'll begin to see that our circumstances won't crush us. We'll begin to see that we, we won't collapse under the pressure of them. Why? Because, because we've Because we're living with this perspective, this God perspective that he is being honored and he is being glorified through your faith in him in the midst of it. Now, church, please understand, I'm not saying this is easy, okay? I'm not saying it Uh, because it's not. This is, I'm only being honest, this is graduate level Christianity, okay? That's what this is. But through the grace of God, we can do it. Lauren Blackmore found that grace and she did it and you can do it in the midst of your circumstances. It's not automatic. 
you got to know the secret. And that brings us to, to the last, to last truth about living triumphantly. And it's this, it all starts with the priority, the priority. And that is Jesus is the source of life. Jesus is the source of life. Let me show you this. I, I talked a little bit about this last week, but I want to come back to it. Look with me at verse 21, and you begin to see this is the secret right here. And he just wants you to have the secret. This is it. For, for to me to live is Christ, he says, and to die is gain. That's the secret. That's how you overcome the problem, that life is hard. That's the, that's the key to the perspective of understanding and really trusting that God is in control and he's going to use it for good. It's understanding that Jesus is the source of life. Now I want to ask you again, all of us have something by which we say to live is something. What is that something for you? How would you fill in the blank? To live is blank. Because what I know is this, that, that all of us have one or two things that we just think that if I could just have that one thing, if I could just apprehend it, if I can just kind of capture it, then my life will be happy. Then my life will be complete. Then my life will be satisfied. Then I'll be happy. And, and what do we do? We just set our life on a course of chasing it over and over and over again. What is that one thing for you? And so for the Apostle Paul, that one thing, his bottom line was, to live is Christ. To live is Christ. And basically what he's saying is this. This is how he defined life. He defined it through Christ. What he's saying is this. If I have Jesus and I lose everything else, I'm still living. I still have life. Even though I've lost everything else. That's what we see in this passage. He's unfazed. By these circumstances, because he has the source of life, he has Jesus. You see, what adversities and tragedies and trials do is they have a way of coming into our life and revealing what our priority really is. They have a way of pressing in on us and really excavating what we're really pursuing that's not Jesus. And, uh, and they challenge our bottom lines, if you will. And so, and so at the moment of pressure, you and I have a choice to make. Am I going to collapse or am I going to convert? Am I going to collapse under the pressure or am I going to convert? And what Paul is saying here is there's one bottom line. There's one priority. There is one faith. There's one Lord. There is... There is one Savior. There's one source of life that can stand up to anything that the world and the devil and hell can throw at us. And his name is Jesus Christ. For me to live is Christ. Now you think about this, church, and I mean, just think about it practically for the Apostle Paul. I mean, he may never plan another church again. He may never go on another missionary journey again. He doesn't know what tomorrow is going to bring. But you know what? He's not phased by it because his career is not his life. You see, if your life is collapsing because your career is collapsing, the, that just simply points to the fact that the circumstance is not the problem. The fact that you believe that your source of life is in your career is the problem. You guys following what I'm saying? 
And so, and so if your life is collapsing because your love life is collapsing, then it's not really the circumstances. It's the fact that your love life is your priority. That you believe that your love life is really the source of true life. And what Paul is trying to say is, listen, don't fall for it. You know, those things are good, but there's something better. Jesus is the source of life. This morning, you know, I was kind of thinking through about how to just illustrate this. And I, I just, my mind just kind of went back to Joseph in the Old Testament. You know, the story of Joseph, he uh, was a part of a very dysfunctional family like all of our families. And uh, uh, he had a lot of brothers. And the problem was his brothers really didn't like him too much. You see, Joseph was the favorite son of the dad and all the other brothers just resented him for it. You know what they did? They plotted to kill him. They came up with a plan to absolutely wipe him out. Now, church, with friends like that, you don't really need uh, family members like that. You don't really need any enemies. Um, and, but that's exactly what he had. And so they came up, they came up with this scheme. They were going to kill him. And at the very last minute, one of the brothers had a change of heart and said, you know what? Let's don't kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery and they'll ship him down to Egypt and we'll get some money for him. Wow, don't you love that grace and mercy there? Uh, and so they, they do that. They, that's exactly what they do. You can read about this in Genesis. And, um, and so my thought was is this, you know, if Joseph, if his source of life is his family, then his source of life just collapsed. Absolutely collapsed. If he's finding his identity and his significance and his satisfaction in his family, then he's just lost it. He's lost it all because they have absolutely betrayed him. But you see, Joseph didn't find his life there. Well, you know the rest of the story. He was, he was hired or bought by a guy named Potiphar who was pretty high up in Egypt. And so Joseph began working for Potiphar. And Joseph was a very gifted man. He was a very gifted leader. And so everything that Joseph put his hand to prospered. Um, and, and so that meant everything that Potiphar had in his life and business and his family absolutely prospered. So, you know, Joseph is being a huge blessing to the household of Potiphar, except there's one problem. Potiphar's wife is absolutely in love with Joseph. And she makes a pass out of him, pass at him. He does the right thing. He runs far away. I'm not going to sin against God. I want to honor God. Well, she has him uh, put, in, put in prison. And now he's in prison himself. And um, completely framed, com completely for a crime he, you know, didn't commit. And, um, and I'm just thinking to myself, you know what? If his career was his source of life, He's just lost life because his career is gone. He's in prison. But what you see over and over and over through that storyline is Joseph found his life through his relationship with God. And, then, and, and you see that God honored him in that. And I just wonder what it is for you today. What is that one thing that you're pursuing that you think, man, if I could just have that, then all my problems will be gone. What is that one thing for you? What the Apostle Paul is saying is, that's not life. To live is Christ. That is your source of life. You see, what Jesus did, Jesus is our pattern, right? Jesus, Jesus lived it for us. He, he left his throne in heaven and entered into the hardness of life. He embraced and accepted the hardness of life for you and for me. 
He allowed himself to be crucified. He laid down his life, dying on a cross so that you and I wouldn't have to. And then on the third day, he rose to give us this life, this overcoming triumphant life that is now ours through Jesus Christ. And I wonder if that is the issue for you. If that's the difference between defeat and triumph for you, it's, it's really just saying, God, I, I want to convert to having you as my source of life. Have you taken that step? Because you can do it, you can do it today. Now you're saying, well, Scott, how, how in the world do I, do I get this triumphant life? Well, it's really just through two steps. And there, it's just so simple. First, the first step is this, just repenting from looking for life and other sources other than God. It's just basically just owning it and saying, God, I've been pursuing this when I should be pursuing you. And so when you begin to, to really reflect in that way and take that step in that way, life starts coming to you because you not only, first of all, repent, but you begin to believe that Jesus is the source of life and his life comes to you in the circumstances that you're in. And you begin to trust him to work through those circumstances. And what you see is, is other people are encouraged as they see your faith. And the gospel is advanced as, they, as people want to know what's different about you. You see, through repenting and believing, we come to experience the true source of life. And I just want to challenge you today, church, to take your chains and lay them down before your heavenly father and say, God, whatever you want to do with these, you do for your glory. I'm trusting in you. Let's pray together. Heavenly father, we, we thank you that you are the God who gives life. We thank you that Jesus is the source of life. And so in this moment, we just want to take a minute to examine ourselves. God, we, we want to take a minute and just have you put your searchlight on us. And Lord, we want to reflect on what we've been chasing, what we've been pursuing, what we think will give us life. And so God, I pray that you would just grant us the gift of repentance today. If we've been pursuing life in other, other places besides you, God, I ask that you would grant to us repentance and just the awareness that you are the truth and there's no life outside of you. And Lord, I know that there are difficult circumstances in this room right now. I know that so many of us are experiencing and walking in chains right now. God, I thank you that you're stronger than those chains. Lord, you're, you've called us, you've equipped us, you've empowered us to walk triumphantly over those circumstances, just like the Apostle Paul. And Lord, we just confess it's not easy. But we come to you asking for help today. Give us faith. Lord, may we pursue Jesus as the source of all life. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.